Hello everybody and welcome to the Going Up Cast, your weekly feel-good podcast for this week. We talk about new video games coming down the horizon, my love affair with one of the best superheroes of all time, a brand new recipe, and another nature-based adventure. That's right, this week it's all about Batman. We're talking, we're talking about Batman. Everything, everything Batman. Just a fucking lot of shit related to Batman. And Harley Quinn, specifically. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of great media to talk into about that that I have been obsessively consuming over the last week or so. Don't know exactly why. We'll get into it. Um, I also tried another recipe in the D&D cookbook. This one is called Iron Rations, and we'll get to that a little later on. I went to Mount Rainier, and we talked about how that went. And I regale y'all with a little bit of my D&D adventures. Um, and it was very awesome and pretty brutal. And we hear that one right at the top of the hour here. Uh, if you enjoy the Going Upcast and wish to support the Going Upcast, please feel free to go to patreon.com forward slash goingupcast, where you can become a patron and get access to such things like the Pokemon Nuzlocke Run, which is coming back here pretty soon, and the movie audio commentary tracks. And I believe it is finally time for me to start tackling those beloved movies that everybody's just such a big fan of. I'm going to start putting up... <gasps> My audio tracks for Harry Potter, which is going to be both fantastic and awful for me because I have a love-hate relationship with Harry Potter. But it'll be fun, and I hope it'll be entertaining for y'all to listen to. And I'm doing pretty well. I'm exceedingly sleepy. I'm so sleepy. I don't really know why I'm so sleepy. I'm just really sleepy. I've got like a pot full of caffeinated tea that I'm trying to knock back as quickly as possible, hoping that that just kind of wakes me up. And I think I'm... I'm going to do a little bit of working out here too. Um, that'll hopefully get get the like the blood pumping, but it's just like it's all in my my head. Like I went to Trader Joe's not that long ago and I was so fucking sleepy in Trader Joe's where I was looking at the floor being like uh, I could curl up on the floor and pass out and right now in my sleepy head that's socially acceptable. Um, when it isn't, you, you can't sleep on the floor in Trader Joe's. They're going they're going to get grumpy at you. So I didn't do that. I came home and started talking into a microphone instead. Um yeah, so, just so sleepy. Anyway, I'm going to go take a nap, and y'all, but nope, I'm going to work out. I'm going to work out first, and if that doesn't work, then I'll take a nap. But, enjoy this wonderful podcast. You're all fantastic. Let's get into it. So, a long, long time ago, um, I did a uh, an unboxing on the podcast for the, the Curse of Strahd revamped edition for Dungeons & Dragons uh, 5e. And since then, I have played a good amount of Strahd. I'm actually running two parties through it simultaneously. Um, One party is slightly ahead of the other one, so it makes it just weird enough that I struggle to remember which party has done what. But I led one party through um, a thing called Death House, which is a uh, like alternate side adventure to get you from level one to level three. Uh, totally optional. Players don't have to do that. Um, but I think it's really good for for like new players and stuff like that. It's basically just like a Scooby Doo haunted house, and um, lots of rooms to explore, lots of treasure to find, a lot of enemies to fight, uh, and so you get like the lay of the land for D and D before you're launched into the big open world of the entire like country of Barovia um, in order to explore and fight Strahd and stuff like that. Uh, and until, uh, recently, I, I very much love characters. I like when I play D and D, my character is usually something that I grow very fond of, um, right up until I don't. 
at which point I will usually come up with my own ways of writing them out of the story um, so I can bring in a new character that I will will like more. Um, and that could be, like, you know, self-sacrifice or they will just leave the party because, like, their story is done. You know, like, there will be a narrative point where I try to write my character out of the story and bring in a new one. But when I DM, I, I very much try to keep my players alive um, because... I, I know that they get attached to it and like the party gets to know each other and they balance out really well because of like session zeros and stuff like that. Um, so I, I try to I try to keep parties alive. But with Strahd, Curse of Strahd, because it's a campaign in a book um, and it's all kind of made for me, I'm doing my best to stick to what the text says. I'm, I'm, I'm telling the story exactly how it is. And so here was the situation. They were in one of the rooms in Death House fighting basically a ghost. I think it was a specter. And the Spectre has an ability called Life Drain. And what Life Drain does is, as it does damage, uh, which in this case is 3d6 necrotic damage, um, it removes your maximum hit points by the damage it does. So if you have 20 hit points and it does 7 damage to you, you now have 13 hit points. It doesn't so much as hit you and cause damage as it just removes your life essence from you. It's a dangerous enemy, especially if you're level 1. So what happened was this Spectre on like its last legs, it had four hit points left, got a natural 20 and did 27 necrotic damage to one of the players in the party, instantly killing them. Like you can't heal them because they have no hit points anymore. So they are dead. They were just done. And like the blood was drawn through their face as the Spectre just open mouthed and inhaled like all of the moisture that was in this character and they just left like a uh, fucking dehydrated desiccated corpse behind that eventually crumbled to dust and faded away it was brutal and it shook me because like me as the dm like i'm the one that killed them but because i it's coming out of the book it almost feels like the book killed them and i'm just the conduit for the story that's one of the reasons i really love doing these preconstructed um modules because I'm experiencing it basically for the first time with the players. And so it's not like us, me versus them. It's us versus the book. And the book killed Cobblestone. And I'm just like, holy shit. It was br like, we took a break. And I was just like, I am so sorry. But the player rolled up a new character and, and the party discovered that character like later on in the death house. Um, so they were still able to play. Because I also didn't want like any of my players to just like fucking sit around and not do anything for a while. I'm like, that's dumb. So, new character. And, um, it, it was, uh, it was just fucking, it was heavy. I've never had a character in, in one of my games die like that. I've, I've killed off, like, NPCs for narrative purposes. Um, because, you know, like, same reason, like, while well, my player characters will write themselves out of the story, NPCs who have served their usefulness tend to find a way to leave the party. Um, because that's, I, that's, I, I love the, the narrative of that they like come in for a purpose and then they leave and then a new character can come in for a purpose and then leave um and that breeds the opportunity if any of those characters survive uh to to come back later on as like a surprise and it'll be like oh my god it's joe you know that kind of stuff um it's just uh it was just a lot of fun and i really am enjoying it i i would love if uh wizards of the coast made more like fancy D, &D versions of their classic stories uh, this like this box of Strahd, I've used like everything in it multiple times. It's wonderful to have like all these handouts and physical items and stuff like that. I think it's super cool. 
Um, and I would love for them to do more of those. I know there are there are some like companies that are sponsored by Wizards of the Coast that make fancy editions. I think it's called like Beetle and Grimm, which is uh, run by like uh, Matthew Lillard, who played Shaggy in the live action Scooby Doo movies, among many other roles. Uh, I think he's also one of the villains in Scream. Um, is behind that, and those are like multiple hundreds of dollars. But it's the same idea that it's like a fancy version of one of the core campaign books. Um, I just want them to make more of those because I think those are those are awesome, like deluxe editions of D and D books. But yeah, I just wanted to share some some of my stories from D and D. Next thing is podcast. So I'm often behind the times when it comes to certain things, but one of my all time favorite video game franchises is Diablo. Indeed, Diablo 2, specifically the Lord of the Destruction version of Diablo 2, was basically like the first video game I I can remember playing as a child. I can remember the giant black computer we had that was like fucking 50 pounds. The monitor was enormous, you know, solid glass screen. Um, I remember beating Diablo 2 like many years later for the first time. It's still to this day my favorite game because it was my first game. Um, and I have recently caught up on the news of Diablo 4. And I finished watching the 10-minute the, the cinematic intro to that game, which was incredible. If um, it actually had me kind of sitting there going like, that's a lot of blood. That's a little graphic. It's kind of like when I watched Castlevania on Netflix and I kind of leaned back in my chair and went, this is remarkably violent and I'm not entirely sure it needed to be. It's a gratuitous amount of violence. But there was something in the, uh, in the fucking trailer that jumped out at me that I thought was really interesting. And so I wanted to do a little bit of a, not a deep dive because I don't know that much about the subject, but I know just enough that it makes it interesting. So up until now... The Diablo games have focused on Diablo and the other prime evils. Um, I believe in the beginning it was just Diablo and then Diablo 3 came around and it had three um, prime evils and then a fourth one was added uh, in the expansion. I believe it, I believe that's... No, it was five, it's five prime evils. There was four in the... Because uh, you had Andariel, who I think was like one of the prime evils of like Lust. Um, and then you had... Um, Oh, fuck. Um, I think his name was like Duriel, like the fucking bug thing. Uh, then you had Mephisto, Diablo himself, and then Bale. And then in Diablo 3, it brought in like Asmodeus and, um, or Asmodan, whatever the fuck his name was. And the other one, Belial. I think it was Belial and Asmodan were like the new ones for that, which brought it up to seven. And... You know, the seven deadly sins, that makes sense that there would be seven prime evils. Um, and now we've got Lilith, um, who is the, is the like, I guess the, uh, the prime evil of hatred, um, which I could have sworn was already taken, but maybe not. And the name Lilith is of incredible significance, uh, especially in um, the Jewish mythology. See, when God created Adam... And from Adam's rib came Eve. From the same clay that was used to mold Adam, Lilith was also molded. And Lilith fucking just did not want to put up with Adam's shit. She fucking like straight up was like, fuck you, I'm out. And um, she 
goes off and gets coupled with the Archangel Samael, who uh, is also uh, a creature of very strong uh, religious importance that I believe um, is fairly... Um, well, it says he's not necessarily evil um, since he, like, destroys sinners, but many of his functions resemble Satan. So he's, like, if you look at him through the wrong lens, um, you could you could see him as being, as being satanic because he's often uh, tasked with fairly dark duties. Um, according to this statement here, one of his greatest roles in Jewish lore is the uh, main angel of death. So there you go. So Lilith went off and started boning the angel of death. Um, and Lilith is also a term used in uh, Hebrew texts that translates to night creatures, night monsters, hags. Like, it's it's not a, it's not a, a, a nice term, really. Um, uh, Lilith appears in the fucking Epic of Gilgamesh, which is like one of the... I think it's the first superhero story, technically. Gil Gilgamesh, like the legend of Gilgamesh. Um, so it's one of like the first uh, legends, really, if you look at it from like the whole big thing. But of course, in popular culture, the name Lilith, uh, especially in the religious connotation, has been used in quite a lot of shit. Uh, probably one of the most popular renditions is in Neon Genesis Evangelion uh, with the, the, the being of Lilith there with the angels, um, which is all absolutely just inspired straight by this incredibly rich mythology um it is it is potent like i i have not read the bible from cover to cover or indeed i have not read um much uh jewish mythology books but this area of lore and mythology is incredibly rich and dense and has a fucking lot of really cool ideas and concepts um, that are fascinating to study. Like, if you really look at, like, what Revelations talks about in the Bible, or, like, just the incredible amount of detail that is in the Bible about the fucking demons of hell, or what the angels look like, all this shit is fucking metal as hell. It's amazingly detailed. And you could create a goddamn bestiary based off the creatures from, from this mythology, and you'd sit there and be like, Jesus fucking Christ. Because what's also really interesting about it is that, as far as Western civilization goes, um, these are some of the, the oldest mythologies that we have. You know, these Judeo-Christian ideas um, have been around for thousands of years, and they are just fucking epic as hell. This idea of Lilith being, being like, one of the first people. She's like, she was like person number two. I think Eve came after her. She was the second person ever made. And, like, right out the gate... She was just like, fuck you, Adam, I'm out of here. And then spawned, like, those whole mythos of, like, rebellion. And um, to, to, a, to a much wider extent, she kind of inspired a lot of, um, like, monstrous ideals and stuff like that. Um, because my, my knowledge of Lilith uh, tends to be, like, horror-related. Um, especially, she's, she is very influential in those circles. So it's, it's fun for me that Diablo 4 is building their mythos off of similar ideas or directly influenced by, like, those stories. And so you'll sit there and you'll play this story and you, 
if you if you know what it's inspired by, you can have a, a higher respect for what's going on there because I'm gonna sit there and be like, oh shit, it's fucking Lilith from goddamn, you know, Adam and Eve. She's been around since forever. Boinking the angel of death. Um, who is a canonical character already in Diablo? So I wonder if he's gonna work in there. The Reaper of Souls, right? Angel of Death. So that would be a that would be interesting. I would love to see that. Um, I guess we will. I guess we will find out. I just thought it was fun, so I wanted to talk about it. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. You know what I love? You know what I love, gang? Fucking Batman. Batman's the coolest. I'm going to spend the next 20 minutes of your life talking about Batman. It's probably not going to be 20 minutes, but I'm going to talk about Batman until I'm done talking about Batman. I don't know what kind of kickstarted this recent and by recent I mean like five days ago um not obsession but uh I'm gonna call it a love affair with Batman uh I, it started with me watching Dark Knight Rises which is a phenomenal movie uh Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy was was pretty good Batman Begins is is campy and weird the Dark Knight is awesome and the Dark Knight Rises is Still awesome. I like that movie a lot. I love Bane and that uh, rendition of the character. I would have loved if he was just, you know, the classic, like, luchador wrestler type with the, with the strength drugs. Um, but I understand that's a bit kind of out there for the, uh, the fairly grounded rendition of Batman we get in those movies. Where it's like military tech and stuff like that. And just the whole, like, but of course, you know, that shit. Um, great movie. And I watched that. And um, that got me kick-started into wanting to play the Batman Arkham games again, which are phenomenal games. Um, and I decided to play them in chronological order in terms of the story itself, not in terms of when the games were released. So I started with Batman Arkham Origins, which is a weird entry to this this game, this franchise of four core games. Uh, because Arkham Origins, uh, not only does it take place before Arkham Asylum by about like five years i think it's like five years before the events of arkham asylum but it was made by a different studio um like another team came in and made that game uh and it's got like a whole different crew of voice actors um like it's not kevin conroy and mark hamill it was troy baker and was it was it troy baker and troy baker who who did the voice batman arkham origins uh, the crew was voiced by, um, uh, give me a second. No, hold on. Um, boo-doo-doo-doo. Are you going to tell me? Wikipedia usually doesn't tell me these things. Um, who the fuck? Roger Craig Smith was Batman, and I think Troy Baker was the Joker. I'm pretty positive about that. Pretty, yep, yeah. So, you know, whole new, whole new crew of, uh, of voice actors. Um, but they do a really good job, and they all have a really good sound to their to their vocal quality. And while the game is made by a different team, it is not bad. It's short. Like I mainlined the main story quest of that game in um, like five and a half hours. Uh, it it doesn't take very long, but I still enjoy it, and I I really like the, that world. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And then of course I went straight into Arkham Asylum, and while I was playing Arkham Asylum. I was also watching Batman the Animated Series. So I'll talk about Arkham Asylum first. So Arkham Asylum came out in like 2009, you know, and it, it started... It was one of those games that kind of changed how 
uh, like the genre feels, you know, the, the Batman combat system, uh, was incredibly rich. Your ability to, uh, explore the, the world you're in with the grappling hook and the gliding of the, the fucking cape and all that stuff was just super fun. The stealth sections with your belt full of gadgets and different ways of taking out the enemies is always just a blast. Um, and those ideas maintained in like the whole fucking franchise and they just built upon it, you know, like in Arkham Origins, you got like the electrocutioner gloves, which gave you an extra fucking zappy power thing. And, um, Arkham city introduced the, the grapple, uh, repel speed thing, uh, which allowed you to like rocket yourself off the top of buildings to get like a boost and continue gliding. Uh, and then of course, Arkham Knight brings in the car. Um, and I haven't gotten to Arkham Knight in my, in my batman love affair right now um i'm actually in arkham city right now and there's so much more to do in arkham city than there was in the other two games that i'm probably going to be in that world for quite some time basically i want to do every villain side quest except for the riddler because the riddler has all of his dumbass fucking puzzles and shit and it is just a goddamn waste of time and fuck the riddler uh into the ground he's he is the goddamn worst Nobody likes the Riddler, so I, I don't care for his puzzles. But, uh, like, Bane is in Arkham City. I had no idea he was in there because I never did any of, like, those side questy missions. So Bane is there and, like, dead shots around. I had no idea about any of this shit. So, very exciting. Um, yeah, it's, it's, those games are, are, are wonderful. I think my favorite is probably Arkham Knight. It's the largest in terms of the, the world. I love the story of that game. Uh, to pieces the whole Jason Todd thing is really awesome um, it, it allows you to play as a bunch more characters you get to see Oracle it's really fun um, and I like that one a lot uh, and in terms of Batman in the animated series which is not really a show I ever watched a lot of I watched episodes here and there and I've seen some really good moments from that show but um, I never sat down and watched it and I was enjoying it a lot um, but it, it wasn't quite uh, what I was after, if that makes sense. It, 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 didn't, it didn't scratch the right Batman itch I was really looking for. And um, it's still really good. And I liked it a lot. And I probably will go back and finish it. I'm watching you know this on like HBO Max. Um, and it's, it's good. The animation's good. I like the characters. Um, I love the, the humor of it. I like that it's like really established Batman. And that he uses different ways of defeating enemies and stuff like that. Like, revealing to a mob boss that his drug uh, kingdom had gotten to his son. And um, reuniting that mob boss with, like, his estranged brother. That was really cool. Um, so that's a fun storyline. And what else is great about Batman Animated Series? The intro is fucking awesome. Music's really good. I love the noir setting. And, of course, the Batman the Animated Series introduced um, characters to the Batman lore. Like... Renee Montoya, I believe. Harvey Bullock, I'm pretty sure. And, of course, Harley Quinn is probably the most famous creation to Batman in the animated series. Um, Paul Dini and Bruce Timm got, uh, got some fucking great characters made out of that show. Um, and and on, the, on the heels of all of this, on the heels of everything that I've been doing with Batman while I've been playing Arkham City and all of this stuff, um, I remembered that when DC Universe, the, the DC exclusive streaming service was a thing. It's no longer a thing because it's been absorbed into HBO Max. Thank fucking God. Um, was a thing. They announced 
uh, an animated show for Harley Quinn. And they were going to bring in um, Kaylee Cuoco. Cuco? I don't know how you pronounce her name. Uh, Penny from Big Bang Theory. She was going to come in and be the voice of, of Harley Quinn. And it was going to be for like adults. And it was going to be funny and all that stuff. And I, I, I always wanted to get around to it. And so I finally did. I watched the first... What episode am I on? Um, I want to say four. No, three episodes. Watch the first three episodes of that show. There are 26 episodes uh, across two seasons, 13 episodes a season. Um, and so far, I'm loving it. So the, the basic plot is that Harley Quinn has finally had enough of the Joker. Um, and it took the, the efforts of Poison Ivy to show Quinn that the Joker just does not care about her. And Poison Ivy is the best character in the show. Um, she's voiced by Lake Bell, who is phenomenal. And the, the, I think what I really like about the show is it, it shows these characters in like a whole new light, yet they still feel truthful to the characters. They're very different. Like Poison Ivy is fantastic. She's like, she's incredibly compassionate, uh, for Quinn. Um, she's really funny. She, like, do, does, like, this Poison Ivy stuff. Like, you you can tell just by looking at her that she's powerful as hell. But there was one episode that she just, like, sits on the couch in, like, jammies, uh, drinking hot cocoa and just talking about stuff. And that's, like, all she does in that episode. And it's fucking, it's, like, cozy and adorable. And I love seeing, like, that side of such an iconic villain. And Harley Quinn, um, she, she is incredibly well-performed, um... I thought I wouldn't enjoy Penny as Quinn, but I fucking, it's fantastic. The writing is, is really solid in this, in the show. Um, so I love the way like these, these characters are get, are getting new life in them from being kind of comedic and written really well. And the animation's really fun, but it's super rated R not only in terms of the violence of the show, which is extreme, but the language of course is also very uh they're not they're not shy about the language which i think is is what adds to it but the best part about the show is something that i haven't even experienced yet i just know is coming and it makes me really happy so harley quinn and poison ivy are canonic they canonically get together in this show um i believe by the end of season one they they kiss um but all of season two is them just like being together and on the heels of th seeing things like fucking the owl house where Luz and amity are our our love interests or um she-ra with with katra and uh, adora like fucking all over the place with that show and it's this incredibly awesome wave of lgbtq plus representation in animation um and i'm super there for this i mean harley quinn and poison ivy have sort of kind of maybe sort of kind of had love i uh, hate relationships throughout the comics a lot um but seeing it in animation um with a with a fairly high profile show is just fantastic especially because the show is getting a third season and, and it's now permanently moved to like hbo max and hopefully it'll keep getting seasons and it'll just keep developing and stuff like that and I think it's phenomenal, and I'm so excited to watch these two crazy kids get together because 
I'm a goddamn sucker for stuff like that. Like over in Critical Role, Bo and Yasha just fucking started dating and I'm fucking there for that. It's incredible and I love it. And it makes me kind of mad at things like uh, Legend of Korra where they left it ambiguous because back then, I know it wasn't even that long ago, but back then, like the fucking censors wouldn't show it on, on TV, you know? Or they wouldn't, they wouldn't confirm it for like a kid's show. They couldn't do that. They could brutally murder people um, by having all the air like ripped out of their lungs or having them explode their own heads because it's encased in iron. But having two girls kiss on screen was apparently drawing the line. And now we, we're getting to a point where it is um, a lot more accepted. And that's fantastic. Although there was an interesting thing I read where somebody was worrying about um, what was the phrase they used? I want to get this right. Um, queer baiting. Um, this this idea that shows will um, have an LGBTQ plus relationship in your show simply to have it there. And that's the wrong way to do it, you know? It's not... You never want your character to exist and have their sexual orientation be that character. You know? Hi, this is John. What's John's purpose in the story? He's the gay one. You don't want that. That's bad representation. It's not who they are. It's a part of who they are. It is an element of the whole, not the whole. And that is something that, like, some shows get wrong. And they will they'll construe it in the, a negative way. But based on how this relationship between Quinn and Ivy is developing and how it developed with Adora and Catra and in Owl House and in um, all these amazing shows, it, it builds over time and you learn about these characters, what they're all about. And so it is not just, they're not just the relationship. They just happen to be in a relationship as part of like growing closer as friends. Um, and indeed, the thing on uh, on Wikipedia from, um, I don't know who, who fucking said this, but there was like, uh, where is it? It was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, more realistic exploration of how it feels to fall in love with a friend or to have an awkward hookup with a workmate. Um, it's a very slow burn of a relationship. Um, but this other person, Heather Hogan from Autostraddle, added that the bisexual love of Poison and Harley's canon, calling the second season, quote, one of the most gratifying gay seasons of television she had ever watched. So that right there, I'm like super excited to see how that goes down. It's, it is a really good show. Definitely rated R, definitely for adults. You know, a lot of language, a lot of violence, some pretty heavy topics. Um, but it's also kind of weird to me that like, um, well, it's maybe not so weird, but uh, one of the one of the crux um, topics of one of the early episodes is this idea of um, female superheroes not being able to uh, excel beyond their male counterparts because of this, like you know, of basically feminism and sexism and all that stuff. Like, and I'm sitting there being like, that's that's a really good thing to tackle in this show where it's, you know, led by Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, you know, two incredibly strong female leads are driving the show. And so talking about that is really good. And the fact that the Joker is still like the villain 
of the fucking show, you know? It's not really Batman. Like, it's not Harley Quinn versus Batman. Harley's trying to make a name for herself amongst the other villains, and Joker doesn't want her to do that. So, Joker's still the villain. And so, it makes Harley really easy to empathize with. Even though Harley, in her own right, is, you know, batshit insane and does horrible things all the time. But you root for her because of who she's up against. And it's the Joker and the, the Legion of Doom and all that shit. And you can't not like Harley and Poison Ivy. They are simply fantastic in this show. And I cannot wait to just fucking sit down and watch this shit. Because it is so funny. Um, I was I, The way I phrased it to a friend of mine... It worked, it worked for that description because um, he and I used to watch uh, like Family Guy back when we were in high school. Um, so I described it as like rated R Batman stories written by like the good writers of Family Guy. It's it's that kind of humor. When the humor's really funny, the humor's really funny. And sometimes it's a, it's a little like rated R just for the sake of being rated R. You know, it's one of those things. Um, but when it gets it right, it gets it right. And it's really fucking fun. Um, so I would, I would highly recommend that along with basically all Batman fucking media because very little of Batman media is bad. Some of it is, but very little of it is. And what's fun is that Batman has also had so much media that they are exploring it in very new ways, um, that are, that are unusual. Like there's a, there's a Batman movie that takes place in Victorian 1800s London where Batman tracks down Jack the Ripper and his outfit is different and all of his gadgets are different and time period accurate and stuff like that and that's really cool there was a, a CGI uh, anime Batman movie where he travels back in time to medieval Japan and has to take out the Joker and he's got like a fucking katana and he goes to ninja school like Batman movies are fucking crazy balls they just go and do some weird shit and they can do that because Batman's already had a bunch of movies of him doing normal Batman shit. So now he's like expanding into other weird Batman areas and it's fucking radical. Um, and I'm just kind of hopping on this bandwagon now, but it's a, such a fun bandwagon to hop on. So I would highly recommend you just explore the world of Batman media. It's fucking amazing. Just hop on there. Play the games, watch the shows, watch the movies, drink the tea. I'm sure there's Batman tea. I don't know. I don't know what flavor it is. Fucking justice. That's the flavor of Batman tea. Let's move on to the next thing in the paragraph. Paragraph? Paragraph. Nice. Awesome. Leaving that in. Next thing in the podcast. That's what this is. All that all that stuff I just said about Harley Quinn, um, the animated show on HBO Max, uh, remains true. However, I'm now going to expand upon that because I have just finished watching season one of this spectacular show. In fact... It got to me in such a way that I had to take a break in the middle of an episode because it it frustrated me so much. Um, but I wanted to I wanted to talk about this a bit more um, because it has so much more going on than um, I think people realize. Not only is it incredibly funny, and not only is it willing to take risks like killing off big name characters like that for almost no reason and you kind of sit there and you go well huh 
I wonder where they're possibly ever gonna go from here. Um, but show doesn't care. It just doesn't. It's like this guy is here for a bit. He's here for a gag. Now he's dead. And then you just kind of sit back and you reel because you're like, well, especially with Batman stuff, like death in Batman is really predominant one time. And that's when his folks kick it. And the whole fucking point of Batman is that, you know, he doesn't kill people. But this isn't Batman's story. It's Harley Quinn's story. And the people Harley Quinn pal around with tend to not have a stringent of a fucking uh, rule about that. They tend to uh, tend to do whatever they want. They tend to do whatever they feel is necessary to get the job done. So there's murder all over the fucking place. You'll spend like an episode getting to know a character and then that fucking character will then just up and die. Um, and then you're just like, all right, well, that was fun. Um, but there are a couple of things that the show dive into pretty deeply, actually, um, that I think is fantastic. Sanity is a big thing in this show. And there's a lot of episodes that deal with actually going into somebody's psyche in order to, air quotes, fix what's wrong. Um, uh, I know we go, we go into Harley's brain and then we go into Poison Ivy's brain. Um, later on in season one. And those uh, segments are really interesting and really fun. And it's super fucking creative. Um, and I think one of, one of the biggest themes of the show is this idea of relationships. Particularly toxic ones. Codependent, abusive relationships. Basically between Joker and Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn throws the shackles off of the Joker in episode one. And spends many episodes trying to get into the Legion of Doom in order to be seen as an equal um, in this male-dominated world of villainy. The second she gets into the Legion of Doom, she regresses and falls back into palling around with the Joker. It's like day one. And it's heartbreaking to see because she's made so much progress and found all of these friends and she, she needs the relapse in order to really realize that, like, how far she's come. And it's, like, textbook, you know? You know they don't belong with the Joker. But they're so enamored and they're so in, like, they're so blinded to, like, the reality and all that stuff. And they are so willing to trust. And it's just, it is, it is truly heartbreaking. And then, of course, there's that classic, like miscommunication thing at the end of that episode. What I do like about the show is that if there's a problem, it doesn't necessarily get rectified by the end of an episode. Like the last five-ish episodes all basically tie together. And like, there's a problem in like the, the fifth to final episode that doesn't get resolved for like another three or four episodes. If then, you know? Like problems hang around. And so it almost encourages you to binge this shit because you know otherwise you're just gonna like fucking suffer and wonder and you have to get that resolution in order uh, to like feel happy at the end of watching the show because it goes to some places and then the episode just fucking ends and you're just like oh fuck I can't end on that I gotta keep going and it's not spoilers really in my opinion um, but it all works out in the end kind of <laughs> depends on whose point of view you look at um, and, and, and there is that, but I, I thought it was, it was excellent. 
Um, it wasn't afraid to take risks. It wasn't afraid to kill people. It ta- it tackled some really heavy subjects. It has a lot of emotion. Um, it has a lot of love in the show. And, um, like, not even romantic love, necessarily. Uh, although there is certainly quite a bit of that. Um, and it's there are various examples of, of romantic relationships in the show, especially season one, um, that have a lot of problems. Um, like, um, being embarrassed to be seen with your partner or dating the Joker, you know, it's got, it's got issues, but then there's also the love between friends, uh, because by the end of season one, regardless of whatever I said in the previous segment, um, Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn do not get together by the end of season one. Um, there, there is a lot of, you know what? I don't even think there's romantic love subtext between those two in season one they say they love each other quite a bit um but i i would view that more as the love between friends more than romantic love um i'm curious to see what it takes to to kick it off in season two it could be the events of the finale that kind of kickstarted that off i'll be curious to see if that is what it is um i don't want to be i don't want to get into too much details because i really do recommend the show and if you have hbo max i would recommend you go watch it um it is, it is, it is really good. It is, it is really good. It is probably, I mean, it is definitely one of the best animated shows, particularly DC animated shows I've seen in ever. Um, because of the show, I think I enjoy this show's focus more than I do say like Batman, the animated series, which while a good show and does cover some heavy topics, um, I'm a sucker for for anything that deals with like relationships, um, and Harley Quinn deals with relationships in spades. So there is that, um, and the merch surrounding the show is it's pretty funny. There's a couple of uh, of mugs that you see in the show. Like uh, Ivy has a mug that says like "Go Green." Humans make excellent compost. Or um, Bane has a, a mug that says "Caffeine is my reckoning," which I think is great. Bane is fucking phenomenal there was a bit where he's doing like fucking uh basic street magic and he's like pick a card and harley picks a card and he's like is your card the three of clubs no fuck and he just like stomps off uh yeah it's it's fun it's really fun just go watch it season three has already been confirmed i hope there's a fourth season coming after that i think that'd be fantastic uh but let's move on to the next thing in the podcast So last week, we made the Traveler's Stew from the Dungeons & Dragons cookbook. The very next recipe is pretty much all I had the energy to make. Um, because it's basically just fucking charcuterie. Um, or as I like to call it, adult Lunchables. And this is called Iron Rations. You know, it's interesting that like all of these recipes... Uh, are, are from like the world of D&D but since I have not really played a lot of um like D&D core adventure books except for Strahd and even then like they've none of my parties have gone to a restaurant so none of these uh, recipes are known to me as a player they're known to me as a chef but they're not known to me as a player um, so I had never heard of specifically iron rations before and if you google iron rations recipe you got like a bunch of weird military stuff. You don't get the D&D recipe. You really need the book in order to figure out what the hell is in this. 
Um, but basically all it is, is you get some hard to semi-firm soft cheese. Um, and this recipe, more than any of the other ones that I've seen, is incredibly variable depending on what you want in your fucking trail mix. Because the type of cheese you get, the type of crackers you get, the type of cured meat you get, the type of fruit you provide will drastically change the whole fucking meal. It, it has a lot of variety. But basically, all you get is you need semi-firm or hard cheeses, okay? Fucking brie ain't gonna cut it here. You need something with some body that you can pick up with your fingers and it retains its its shape. Um, that's what you need. You can, it cannot be a soft cheese. It's gotta be a pretty good hard cheese. Um, I went, I got a sheep's milk cheese. Um, I got some Wensleydale, which is basically lemon frosting. If you've never had Wensleydale, it's incredibly sweet. Um, but goddamn if it isn't tasty. And then I got a, uh, like the world's oldest type of cow's milk cheese. I don't remember the specific names. It's all in the fridge. Um, so I got those and then you need, um, I think it's like 10 ounces of cured meat. And that could be anything from like hard salami to beef jerky, like whatever the fuck you want to put in there. As long as it is meat and it is like cured or dried or whatever, something that can exist in it's basically shelf stable meat. Like you don't need to cook it. It doesn't need to be refrigerated. That shit. That's what you want. Um, and if you take this stuff to go, like if you're making iron rations to bring to a D and D party at somebody else's house, don't do a, a high fat content meat. Cause that'll make everything like weirdly greasy as the fat like melts in the bag. Um, you use like the salami and the high quality stuff for when you eat it at home. Um, but if you're traveling, get some beef jerky. And then, of course, wheat crackers or whatever biscuits, whatever the fuck you want to put your meat and cheese on. Um, I went with uh, Triscuits uh, because meat and cheese and Triscuits is just classic New England style um, adult Lunchables. Uh, and that's kind of what I grew up on. I also have some Ritz crackers, but th the Ritz crackers will be too sweet for um, for these, these meats and cheeses. Um, and then of course it's like, you can do like dried figs if you want it or dried apricots or whatever, any dried fruit that you want. Um, could even use like dried mushrooms. I don't care. You can put whatever the hell you want in your iron rations. And then the uh, final step was to include a fresh fruit element. Um, I've got apples. So I have yet, I've not made this yet. I just went with ingredients. I know I already enjoy, and then I'm just going to mix it together because it's such a, a varied recipe. Um, and I, I just wanted to kind of talk it through because there's a lot of there's a lot of wiggle room in this one, um, and I want people to be able to explore uh, culinarily and figure out things you enjoy, um, especially when it comes to cheeses. Cheese is incredibly varied, and don't even come at me with like your whole oh I can't eat dairy and stuff like that because there are so many cheese substitutes nowadays. That you can you can get some pretty interesting stuff. You can even argue that tofu can substitute in as cheese in, in certain recipes. You can you can season up that tofu however you want. It's got a fairly similar consistency depending on the the like the the fucking uh, hardness or firmness of your tofu. It's got a very similar quality to it. Um, and then if you if you can consume dairy, then try to broaden your horizons into the world of alternate sources for cheeses. Cow's milk cheese, sheep's milk cheese, goat's milk cheese. Um, and if you, especially if you can find a fucking blend, some of the best cheeses I have ever had were mixtures of different milks from different animals. One of like the best cheese I've ever had in, in my entire life 
came from a, a, a restaurant called Haleo in Las Vegas. And the cheese that they gave us, I can never remember the name of, but it was a mixture of sheep's goat and a little bit of cow's milk. It was a trio of all three. And it is the best cheese I've ever had. Like, I have, I have dreams about that cheese. We ordered extra plates of that cheese. I did the research immediately after leaving Vegas to try and find that cheese, only to discover that it is incredibly expensive cheese. Um, so I did not get any. But explore the world of cheese and explore the worlds of meats. Cured meats is getting really weird. This is red wine and black garlic with a little bit of honey and horse toenail clippings. Dried salami. Okay. It's getting weird, man. Um, and you know when you find salami and it's got like that white stuff on it? That's that's good. You want it to have the white stuff on it. White stuff on it means it's legit. Okay? If you get salami and it's just like... You just see the meat and there's like no hint of white stuff on it. Then it's usually a, a sign that it was either uh, done incorrectly or done artificially. And that's not what you want when it comes to cured meats. Um, also, try to avoid nitrates. Those are just kind of generally bad for you. And you find that in a lot of deli meat, um, cured meat products. Um, so if you do see something where it's like no nitrates, um, those are those are going to be relatively healthier for you. I don't want to say always, but that's usually a good rule. And with all things, you know, moderation. Moderation is key. But enjoy the iron rations recipe. The next one in the book kind of terrifies me, if I'm perfectly honest with you. If I had more energy, I would have gotten the ingredients for that today, but I am unreasonably sleepy. I've not been this sleepy in quite some time. But let's move on to the next thing the podcast. Finally this week, I want to talk about my latest nature-based adventure. So, we have been to Mount Baker, Baker Lake, Diablo Lake, and Hurricane Ridge out on the Olympic Peninsula. And the the latest place um, for, for my excursions was Mount Rainier, which has been, obviously, it's a, it's a fairly popular location it is the tallest mountain in the state of washington i think it's like sixteen thousand feet he said wonderingly googles it quickly how tall is mount rainier oh it's fourteen thousand four hundred and eleven feet never mind fourteen thousand four hundred eleven feet still the tallest mountain in the state and uh we went to uh, it's called paradise which is on the the southern face of Mount Rainier. There are basically two um, locations you can visit Mount Rainier at that I'm aware of: Paradise and Sunrise. Sunrise is on like the eastern side, uh, close to Crystal, uh, which is a, a fairly famous ski destination. Um, and then Paradise is on the southern side, uh, and you go through Longmire in order to reach there. And Longmire is basically just like a fucking hotel and a visitor center for the mountain. And so, um, I was a little concerned going to Mount Rainier because Mount Rainier has already had something like 40 to 50 feet of snow, um, in this winter season and winter in the Pacific Northwest doesn't really kick off until January. Um, it's like, it's usually after, uh, December is when winter really comes around. It's like mid January through to like March, um, is usually like our winter season. Um, like right now it's like 46 and slightly rainy, um, which is more or less what it's like year round up here. Um, except summers can get pretty toasty, you know, climate change and all that. 
Anyway, um, I was a little concerned about the, the level of snowfall. But everything I read said that Paradise was accessible. All the buildings were closed because of COVID and the weather. <coughs> but you could drive. Oh, God. Oh, I drank tea down the wrong pipe. Ah, you could drive up to Paradise. And so tire snow chains, tire, tire chains, tire snow chains were in the car. And they ask you, like when you when you drive into the national park, do you have snow chains? And I responded, yes. They did not actually confirm I had snow chains. They just took my word for it, which is probably fine. You know, it's, it's my life. I'd be risking if I didn't have snow chains. Um, and we started heading up. And once you actually get through the gate, it takes about, I'd say, half an hour um, to drive to Paradise. Um, for us, it took us about maybe hour and 45 minutes. Um, and the reason it took so long was a, we were stopping like, you know, every time there was like a little turn off in a viewpoint, we would stop and take pictures and I've got lots of great pictures. Um, but we agreed, this is me and my dad. We agreed that if we saw anybody else putting on snow chains, then we would also put on snow chains. Um, and so we get to a point where the, the snow banks are basically like over the tops of the cars um, like massive fucking like over 10 feet tall snowbanks. And we see a line of like five or six cars all pulled over off to the side, putting on their snow chains. And so we were like, all right, let's, let's do it. Let's put on those snow chains. So I don't know what brand of snow chains I have, but basically what my, my chains do is they're, they're connected by a joint and then they zigzag metal chains up these like blue, um, wires. And you have to kind of throw the chain underneath the tire to swing it around underneath it, clip it at the bottom, and then it's two clips at the top. And you have to reach over your tire behind it where you can't see the clip and clip that shit together. And it took some doing. It was it was frustrating. Like I'm kneeing in icy slush water, so my pants instantly got wet. Um I don't have waterproof I did not bring waterproof gloves. I'm pretty sure I have waterproof gloves, but I'm not sure where they are. Um, and so my fingers were freezing, like they were getting colder and colder as the time went on. And I eventually lost all feeling in my hands and I had to stick my hands on the heater in the car in order to warm them back up again. So I could finish clipping the, the chains on. And after all that struggling, all that fighting, um, the chains were finally on. And I was a little confused when I first opened them that I only had two sets of chains, like for like two tires. But after talking to some people and doing some research, that's apparently all you're supposed to have. You're not supposed to have four tire chains. Um, unless you're like a fucking plow or whatever, like proper snow vehicle. And then you have like chains on everything, but normal cars, you just need the two because if it's any worse than that, probably shouldn't be driving in it anyway. Um, and so we drove maybe a quarter of a mile, um, before we heard like this weird noise. And what was happening was the chains were like, they would expand off the tire with increased speed. And there, one of the chains was like whacking something in the tire wheel. And um, eventually what we did is we pulled off to a much larger parking lot that's like a quarter of a mile down from where we pulled over to put the chains on. And there's a bunch of people there and they're like hiking up the mountain and stuff like that. And um, we looked around and we didn't see snow chains on fucking anybody. So I went, screw this shit. Let's just take the chains off. Like nobody else has them. Um, and so we took the chains off. And we continued up our way to Paradise, where the roads were pristine and clear. And we did not see any snow anywhere until the actual fucking parking lot of paradise and the snow there was like a light dusting from snow that had fallen that morning. It was completely fine. We did not need snow chains. 
Um, but I now know how to put on the snow chains, which is excellent knowledge to know. And once we got up there, uh, unfortunately for us, it was foggy as all hell. It made for some really cool pictures. Like, it's like another planet. Like, the sun is like, you can see the sun, but it's just like a white ball in the sky that you can look at because of how thick the fog is. Um, and all the trees were just covered in snow. And we're just, like, stomping around. And it was just, it was just tons of fun. Um, but apparently it took more energy out of me than I thought because I woke up this morning completely exhausted. Like... On a, on a level hitherto unexperienced by myself, I was so goddamn tired. Um, so I'm guessing it was the physical exertion from yesterday. I have no idea. But it was a ton of fun. And then, of course, we come back down and we, we, we putter around in Longmire a little bit and went across the suspension bridge that went over the Nisqually River um, that led to an even better view of Mount Rainier. Uh, so we got some more pictures there. And by that time, we were absolutely starving. Um, and went to like McDonald's and got like some fucking spicy McChicken sandwiches. And I don't normally do fast food, but when you're craving something, you just go get it. And so I got like two spicy McChicken sandwiches and it fucking hit the spot in the best way. But then it also made me feel like shit in the worst way because fast food will do that. And then we went on home. Um, but we determined that we will probably be going back to Mount Rainier, um, eventually and bringing like fucking lunch this time because, we were, we were pretty convinced that the, the weather probably burned off on Paradise um, after a little while. And if we had food, uh, we would have hung out up there for like an hour just to see if like the weather changed. Um, because the whole way home, we kept seeing like clear shots of Mount Rainier like at our backs. And we're like, man, fuck. It's probably gorgeous up there. and We missed it. Um, so we'll, we'll try again. And uh, hopefully on, uh, on take two, we will, um, we will have a better chance. Uh, but before that, I want to take my uh, my dad to two places. Um, basically, we're going to head back out to Leavenworth and do some hiking. And then uh, he's never seen Cape Flattery, which is the westernmost point in the contiguous United States. It is the westernmost tip of the Olympic Peninsula. Uh, but because that is such a fucking haul, that's probably going to be a bit more of a uh, of like a weekend trip thing. So, But I'm pretty excited about that one. I think that'll be a lot of fun. And then Crater Lake um, down in Oregon would be... Uh, that's That's been on my, my list for a very long time. But that one is most assuredly like a, a weekend trip as well. Because, you I mean, you could day trip it um, if you really wanted to. But I feel like he and I would have to swap driving in order to pull that off. Um, which I suppose isn't that bad of a thing. Thank you all very much for listening to this week's episode of The Going Upcast. I'm probably going to go and take a nap here pretty soon. Um, I hope you're all doing exceedingly well. Um, Critical Role starts up this week. That's going to be really exciting. And yeah, go watch Harley Quinn and whatever else I talked about in this week's episode. Batman. It was, it was mostly Batman. It was it was like 30 minutes of Batman. Who doesn't like that? I love that. Thank you all very much for listening. And I'll see you all next time. Have a good one, everybody.